listening to Driven Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Hey, all you gearheads and car fiends, welcome to Driven Radio Show, your weekly automotive happy hour. I am Brad Hatfield, here with my co-host and engineer extraordinaire, Mr. Mark Groves. That's me. We are coming to you from Driven Radio Studios, where, by God, the snow's all gone, the sun's out. It was almost 60 degrees today. It was 62 degrees yesterday. It was so hard not to... uh call in sick at my desk at work because I'm looking out at uh, through these big windows we have at the front of the building and just seeing how beautiful it is out Gee, there. Gee, if only you had a friend that had a lot of motorcycles. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it was a it was a hard call, but you know, I'm a man of responsibility. So. Well, that and I have had the blue Corvette out the last two days and tomorrow it is going, believe it or not, I'm actually going to pay somebody else to detail my car. What? Yeah, well, that's how bad my knees have gotten. Uh, but I'm getting it detailed, and then Thursday morning, I'm going to shuttle the thing down to Bartle Hall and put it in the Hot Rod Express display, get it ready for World oh, of Wheels yeah, this yeah, weekend, yeah. where, boys and girls, we will be broadcasting now. Hopefully, somebody's engineer will have the show chopped up and ready to drop like Friday night. <laughs> Uh, because subtle. <laughs> we are going to be here Saturday morning, man. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to recording live down there. So yeah, that's, gonna, uh, that's exciting. Going to have the truck packed up. We're going to be down there setting up. And make sure, everybody, if you're in Kansas City, going to World of Wheels, stop by the O'Reilly Do Auto it. Parts display. We will be there broadcasting kind of live. Oh, uh, really. Yeah, recording live. We will be recording live uh, from World of Wheels, and be sure to go drop by and visit our friends over at Hot Rod Express. That really super slick blue 65 Corvette is uh, is mine. That's your baby. That's my baby. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, It'll be the second time I've had a car in, in World of Wheels. That's, uh, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah. I remember uh, Vlad went. A couple of years That's ago right. when I still had her. Yeah. Had it parked uh, nose to nose with our good friend Brian Boyd and his white Impala convertible. Brian will be down there again this year. And probably some familiar faces and a lot of new ones. You know, looking forward to the show this year. Absolutely. Tonight, we are embarking on the first of two interviews with people from Revs Institute, which is certainly significant enough to be worthy of multiple shows. We will have uh, Lauren Goodman on next week, but our special guest this week is Scott George, Executive Vice President of CH Motor Cars and Curator of Collections for Revs Institute. Scott is a member of the National Advisory Board for the Automotive Restoration Program at McPherson College, my alma mater, and on the Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion Advisory Council. He's a member of the Collections Committee for IMS Museum and a judge at multiple Concours Delegants, including the Pebble Beach Concours. Scott, welcome to Driven Radio. Well, thank you so much, Brett. Scott, for those who are unfamiliar, what is Revs Institute and what makes it so different from other car museums? Well, you know, Revs Institute located down in, in, in Naples, Florida, it, it's really, it is a working institution, right? It, it's, so we're, we're sort of an institution that has, well, we are an institution that has a museum within it. So we have a major research library and archives. It's considered one of the, uh, the largest of its kind. And, and we have a, a workshop and conservation preservation um, area where we take care of all the cars and, and, and create sort of 
uh, you know, best practices for maintenance and preservation and sort of conservation for, for our collections. And, uh, you know, when we're open to the public three days a week uh, to try to have people come share, you know, what, what it is we do to, with, uh, with patrons. But, uh, but we also do, do a lot more than just uh, showcase the cars. And so we're always busy and we do some educational programming and, and a variety of things started a, a recent program uh, known as Revs Ed, where we're we're teaching hands-on uh, lessons and training for a better understanding of how engines work, how cars work, and, and function. So we're always always busy, uh, cre- either creating new programs or, or or carrying on programs that sort of allow us to expand upon just uh, walking through the museum experience, which isn't which it's a great experience with our great volunteers and docents that, uh, that we have on staff. But, but I, we like people to, to really know that we're a, a working institution with lots of, lots of things, uh, irons in the fire. As curator of collections, what is it you do for Revs Institute and how long have you been involved with them? Well, I've worked for Mr. Collier uh, for over 35 years now. And I, uh, so it's been a long time and, and, uh, and I'm the curator of collections, as, as you mentioned earlier. But my role is really is sort of a, is a is a vice president role is to help oversee some of the operations side of things, but also in the workshop, uh, some of the guest services side of things, all of our events that we do outside of house uh, and inside of house, um, and you know directly involved with uh, some of the acquisitions within for the library and archives, as well as the auto collection, and overseeing. Um, uh, the resura- restorations that we do uh, either in-house or that we work uh, with uh, with some of the best uh, uh, restorers around the country and and in and abroad in in helping us uh, with some of our uh, some of our automobiles. So I'm overseeing um, you know sort of all those areas and and their day to day and and helping see uh, things carry on and get done. Who is Miles Collier, and what is the significance of his contribution and his collection? Mr. Collier, Miles was is a is the founder of Revs Institute, but he was a uh, his family has a has a history in in sort of the birth of sports car racing in the United States it goes way back into the 1920s and and 30s. Um, his his father and uncles were good friends with Briggs Cunningham, who was a pioneer in in uh, U.S. sports car racing and building cars of his own brand and make to go compete with the best that Europe has to offer. So the family history is in, in automobiles uh, has been around for a very, very long time. But but Miles is very interested, Mr. Collier is very interested in, in sort of creating a, a, an organization and a collection that uh, can allow the automobile to sort of be used as a lens and sort of uh, you know, see how society has developed and really what the automobile's role in that is over over the last century plus. And so it's very serious uh, uh, thinker in this space and 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 uh, somebody that is really uh, instrumental in in all of our operations. He's still very, very active uh, in, in the building all the time. Uh, working and with the guys in our workshops, collaborating on some of the work that we're doing, special projects and, and more. Uh, and he is, he is very much uh, an advocate of, of, you know, seeing the Revs Institute's role in, in helping to preserve the future of the past, or really the future of our automotive past, and, and, uh, and committed to that. So how does Revs Institute 
preserve his collection and uh, what will be his legacy. I mean, he, he already has one and he's still alive. Through all the, the care and practices of, of our cars and the collections and keeping the collections running and operational, I mean, one of the things that sort of separates us a little bit from some others are, are that we keep all the cars in the collection running with a few exceptions. And we, 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 we like to refer to them as, as you know, we want, to, want the cars to be active in the world, right? And, and we want, uh, Mr. Collier uh, wrote a book uh, that was out now, it's been coming up on three years, called The Archaeological Automobile. And, and in that book, he talks about really the automobile's role in society and, and, and how, you know, using, again, a sort of an archaeological approach to restoration and, and care for automobiles, how you can, you, you can have a deeper, grow a deeper deeper appreciation for them and, and really understand a little bit more about uh, what they mean to you, but what they meant to people that had them before you. And, uh, and so we're, I think, I think the, what his legacy will be, will be that is, is known as that, you know, deep thinker in, in the space and really allowing us or allowing many to begin to think about um, the automobile differently. Uh, in the sense we can have, all have fun with it. We're all, we, we, he has fun. We all have fun with it. We enjoy it. We get them out. We drive them. We use them. But they're more than that, right? And and um, at least we think so. And um, yeah, we we want to we want to celebrate that, and we want to be uh, the institute that helps to preserve some of those stories, uh, the materials, uh, all of the practices uh, of caring for these things uh, into the future. Can you? Discuss some uh, a little bit about the events that are held or sponsored by Revs Institute. Well, yes, I mean, I, I, the primarily in that respect, it would be uh, we've had a, a, a connoisseurship and collectible car symposia that we that's now been running over twenty years, and I think we're we've we've conducted there a bi, it's a biennial event, but and it got interrupted from the pandemic, but we hope to be able to uh, launch our next one in 2025. That's in the plans at, at, at the moment. But that 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 symposium is really designed for collectors around the world to come together and begin to discuss uh, or be able to, uh, yeah, really discuss the automobile's role in, in, in caring for the automobile and the automobile's role in, in the world at large and what their own um, Problem, you know, discuss the problems of having and caring for cars, and what it means, you know, to uh, to to put certain practices and and thinking in place before you act, and, and before you just restore. You can only restore, you know, you know, you can only, you know, restoration is is sort of forever, you know. So think about it when you when before you approach that. So that deep thinking with the symposium is is in, in engaging our uh, collectible car audiences uh, and collectors around the world is something we're, we're known for and something that we uh, sort of hang our hat on. Um, other than that, locally in, in doing events in-house, we we do uh, some up, some other programs now with our Revs Ed program, which is a hands-on uh, program that we started about to, to allowing uh, participants to come in um, from really from locally, but also from around the country uh, as we grow to be able to um, to celebrate or and understand how the automobile works, right? How engines function, how brakes, braking systems function, how suspensions and steering 
uh, work. And we, we have a hands-on program that allows participants to take place. Um, right now, it'd be, you, you might consider it as almost like a cooking class for automobiles, right? It's, it's not meant to necessarily make the next, uh, uh, the next, uh, the next generation of, of automotive technicians. It's designed to, to have a lot of fun around what the automobile, uh, how it all functions. And we've had fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and teens and, and seniors all taking the program and, and really having a great time. That's something we want to be in to develop even more so and be able to take it on the road as well. What is the Revs Digital Library? Well, the Restage Library is 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 the result of uh, us over years uh, acquiring um, vast amounts of of library materials, in, which includes automotive photography collections. Right, uh, we now have over forty photographers' collections from around the world, sort of covering um, eighty to one hundred years of the automobile, and uh, along with some. Um, video and film collections as well, which are uh, world, worldwide and encompass over a hundred years. And the Revs Digital Library is the, is the online digital platform that those images can be seen on for free and accessed and, and viewed. Uh, we now have over 700,000 images up on the Res Digital Library. We've been uh, growing over the last decade. We plan on, um, we have another over 1.2, 1.3 million images to digitize. So we'll be digging up uh, our, uh, our our archives and, and and working through with our collection staff and the processing archivists in our in our in our library, and really getting back into a digitization mode here uh, coming soon. Um, so with any with any luck, uh, this time next year, we'll you know they'll, they'll sort of be we'll be at that million mark in there, or be approaching something around that in, in at least in digitized uh, images. And it's you can see them, view them for free. There's they're a high resolution. You can zoom in. There are watermark, but then people have an opportunity to to uh, acquire them, which you know helps uh, the nonprofit side of the Revs Institute. So. Revenue. I'm in there right now, and uh, I, I've noticed there's a dearth of 1955 Plymouth ones. Stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> Not a single one. Yeah, the what next, the hell? The next comment he makes is going to be about craters. So. I feel personally slighted. <laughs> Just stop it. You're embarrassing our poor guest. <laughs> it should be right next to the Delahaye. <laughs> Della what? Della Reese. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you, we've got. I dare. I guarantee we have some Plymouths in there, and uh, and some others. So we do. We do. We do. Just not the craptastic ones yeah, not, I like. Not the stuff Mark likes. <laughs> no, Mark's looking for one that's in Battleship Gray and has numbers on the side in white. Who was Andre Van Beaver, and did you know him well? Well, I, I had the chance to, to, to meet Andre and had the chance to acquire some images from him years and years ago. But Andre Van Beaver was a was a, an automotive photographer who based in Belgium who who had really shot from the late nineteen forties up through the mid nineteen seventies in the automobile, you know, sort of mostly automobile races, but in in France and Belgium and, and rallies. Um, and it through the mountains and things of that nature. And we had some, uh, a couple of cars in our collection where that had been uh, run in, in early races in those periods. And I met him through a mutual friend, uh, really through John Lamb, who used to be with Road and Track Magazine years yeah. and years ago. 
one of them has unfortunately now passed. But John introduced me to Paul Freire, who was a who's also now, now passed, but, but Paul Freire was a, was a wonderful engineer and racing driver, wrote some great books. And, and Paul Freire was pers- good personal friends with Andre Von Beaver. And, and so through, through those guys, I got introduced to Andre and we found some images of, of his probably over 25 years ago that we were able to acquire. And then I had a chance to go to, back to a spa in Belgium with Dan Gurney and John Lamb. Oh, that uh, must G- have been awful. <laughs> oh, yep. Story took a strange turn. <laughs> yeah. And that's coming up on 20 years ago now. And, and we took the, the Gurney Eagle, the 1967 Gurney Eagle uh, that we have, which is the Grand Prix car, which is which was the uh, really known as the Mag Tie car, magnesium monocoque and titanium components. And, wow. and Dan, or the Dan won the 1967 uh, Spa Grand Prix. And, and, so we took it back and we ran the car and Dan, the, the circuit had changed, but Dan drove the car a, a, around what was left of the circuit and, uh, and did a, a, a salon or really a piece for road and track, which you can find on, on YouTube, by the way, the video of that. But Andre was there. And, and so we had dinner together and met him and, and we talked and, and I, you know, I said, Andre, we're starting to do, you know, consider, you know, acquiring automotive collections or automotive photography collections in, in the future. And, and should you ever wish to retire and want to see your you know, material go to a good home, let me know. And, and that sort of started, but we didn't, nothing happened, transpired for almost for really literally 20 years. And, and then I was approached by a family friend of theirs. Uh, uh, his name is Atien uh, Bourguignon. And, and it said that his uh, Nicole, uh, Nicole Van Beaver, Andre's widow, was, was looking for us and wanted to reach out because they had known that we, we were a good resource and wanted to see her husband's material end up in a, in a great place. So we were able to, to I was able to go visit and, and we were able to, to acquire the, the images, which is just under 30,000 images. And they're really just spectacular. Wow. Had a great eye, uh, really capturing some of the great scenes and, and uh, through the mountains of, of, of in, in all the giants of the, of the day at, at some great venues back then. So we're really pleased to have it. We're getting ready to process it here this coming year and we'll be digitizing it soon after. So nice. very proud of that. Very cool. Wow. You know, he starts bringing up stuff like that. I think of Ped and all the stuff he shot the last few years. And Can you imagine? Yeah, now I just want to steal it from him. <laughs> <laughs> Let me borrow your hard drive for 10 minutes. Scott, tell us about Active Matter. What is the Active Matter Lab? What is the Active Matter series? Well, yeah, active matter is, as I think I mentioned a little bit earlier, is a, is a term used, that Mr. Collier used in his book. And he, he didn't necessarily coin it whatsoever, but, but he came out of the archaeological world. But we're using those uh, active matter as a way for us to describe how what we do with our automobiles and how we, we bring them out and, and keep them active. You know, they're in a, this environment that we, that we preserve the automobiles in. There are a few that I mentioned earlier that are so, so original that we don't want to overrun them. We don't when we choose to preserve them and we choose to pickle them. And but we could always bring them back to life if we want to. So we go to those those levels to sort of preserve them. But the other cars, it's you know, we feel automobiles are 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 act should be active in the world. And even if they're preserved in museums, I think there's safe practices and safer ways and best practices that can be put in place to do that. And, and we try to always do that. Um, you know, watches should be, you know, if you collect watches and antique watches, you hope they 
still maybe work, right? Or clocks. And you want to see those things sort of, you know, ticking away. We want to see our automobiles ticking away. Um, but Active Matter Series is a, is a program, is a video series that we're creating um, for YouTube that's going to show our cars uh, the, the process we use to, to bring them out and, 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 and bring them into the workshop and prep them to go out and take them out and use them and, and, and put drivers in them and, and have some historic discussions around them and, and also some current day, you know, best practices discussions around and, and add some historic materials in there and video and film. And we'll create a video series around that of short films. And we want to, we want to try to create that content to sort of introduce uh, number one, early cars to maybe newer, younger audiences, but also, you know, how we care and take care of, of, of our cars. And then the active matter lab is really something that, that started in a sense, we didn't call it this back then, but about three years ago, we, we created an, an exhibition on our mezzanine, right in our main lobby, above our main lobby, where we had a 1919 Indy car known as a Ballo. And it's a French, it's really a, a it's a French automobile with a straight eight double oiled cam, uh, four valve engine. One of the, it is the most highly advanced engine and type of car of its type at in in the 1919 era. And we decided that we would, and the car needed restoration. We decided that we would paint the car in front of our audiences, in front of our visitors. And oh. so uh, we worked with a, a, a paint specialist in Germany named Gunde, Dr. Gunder Latouf. I've met she, her. Oh. Yeah? Yeah, I All did. Right. I, I met her at uh, at a, a breakfast. Um, at a German a, a, disco. No, a, a couple <laughs> whose name I may not mention, uh, but they are uh, big patrons of McPherson College. Oh, and, and I I know where you were. I, yeah, I, I, I was. Uh, I, I was sitting at a table with Dave Kenny and uh, my friend Pad Watt and Gunda. Yeah, so I've I've met her and I listened to them discussing paint, metallic paints, the fish scales that were used and where the fish came from and all the. So I've I've sat in on that conversation before. It was pr- really fascinating. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, we, we 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 Gundula comes over and helps do some conservation work with us and helps to train one of our gentleman in the shop who, in fact, who did this paintwork on the ballot and she helped us with the technique and also uh, design and helped us create the, the, the paint. And the paint is all natural linseed oil based. And, and, you know, in those early days, cars were still not sprayed. They were brush painted. And so this was done with an all natural product that we, that was safe enough to use. And, and so Gundula helped us develop it. And we brush painted the car uh, up on the mezzanine. The only thing we had to worry about was trying to keep the dust down at night. So we yeah. didn't have uh, too much yep. dust landed. Well, they didn't but have people, downdraft boosts then. It shouldn't have been so bad. <laughs> you know, and it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. People loved it. We, they, they liked to see in my, in our guy, our, 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 our painter, Tim Bear, he was out talking to people. People just really, really got engaged with it. So that gave us an idea that we would like to do more, uh, museum uh, exhibitions that are interactive with with the automobiles, and so the Active Matter Lab is is going to be uh, is our next is what we're going to call the space. Now we're going to actually create a a workshop space, and we have a 1967 Alfa Romeo GTA that we've been preserving in our workshop now. And and the the idea is is that uh, this spring we're going to create a space up there, and we're actually going to reassemble the car we've done all the all the real dirty work and the and the work that you couldn't do you know in a museum environment we've done in our workshop 
And now we're going to do all the reassembly and some minor conservation work up there. We're actually going to build the engine. We're actually going to assemble the engine in front of our public uh, on the mezzanine as well. And we want to be able to do more things like this through our Active Matter Lab where we're, you know, let people see what goes on in, in putting these cars together and, and caring for them and, and in, a, in an environment that we at least can. We're, we can't do everything there, but we're going to do what we can there. So. Very interesting to hear the good doctor's name come up. She is he's just brilliant. What a fantastic conversation that was. What do you consider to be the best part of your job? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, well, the best part of my job is, is caring for just an amazing um, group of cars. It really is. And, and because I've been doing this so long and I've had so much great opportunity that I've had a chance to work with and meet so many amazing people in the car world. And I'm talking from an international level. So, yeah. I, you know, I've been to Goodwood for over 30 years and, 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 and met and worked with people over there. We've had all, I mean, so many guest drivers drive our cars over the years that are, some are not with us any longer um, that I've been just so fortunate. You know, I pinch myself for all the people that I've had a chance to, to inter- engage with and, and, and work with. So it's really that, the car space to me, I, I say this all the time, the car world, I don't, I'm, I'm only in the car world primarily, so that's all I know. But the car world gives us uh, so many opportunities uh, to engage with people and everybody seems, everybody, you know, that collaborative space and, and, and it's, there's this camaraderie and, and, and this engagement that you have, that the automobile sort of uh, allows us to sort of, um, whether even when you have language differences, you know, you know, you have, you know, four decades of age differences. It doesn't matter. You know, you're a car guy, you're a car guy. You speak cars, you know, you speak cars. And I, I love that. And and so that's, that's the favorite part of my job is, is, is are are all those opportunities I've had and still get to have in in caring for the collections and in traveling with the cars and, and getting a chance to engage with great people. You know, I do have a curiosity when, uh, Scott, when you talk about caring for the vehicles and you've got these set up and they sit in the museum for quite a bit of time. What is it that you do to prep them for that when you've got, you know, uh, cylinders that are one offs? uh, You don't want those pistons to uh, to rust or change shape at all. How do you how do you take care of them and keep them from from locking up? Well, we have a whole we have a checklist of, of things that we do when we activate cars and we sort of deactivate, we sort of have a pre pre event checklist and a post event checklist. And those, that post event side, which is really what you're talking about when we're done running something, the cylinders get fogged with oil, like you do in a Marine engine. And, and often when you boats and stuff, you all fog the cylinders with oil. We, we, we pump the fuel out. We use special uh, uh, classic, uh, gasoline that, that allows a two-year shelf life or for even things that's left in lines and in the carburetors that usually isn't a problem. Um, you know, we have a whole process that we that we go through just to make sure that when the car gets put away, number one, when it's come out and run, it's run long enough and hot enough that that any moisture is sort of burnt out of right. engine, gearboxes and rear ends and so forth. And uh, and we monitor oil. We 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 oil. T- we test oil all the time. We take oil samples, so we monitor engine health, and and we can tell how much moisture and, and, and impurities are in there. So we have a whole you know practice, and we're always learning. We're always trying. We do we do the same thing with with coolant. You know, checking 
checking our nitrates and pH and, and you know, and working with different preservatives and uh, testing things, what works for us and not works for us. Some engines we do keep dry. Some we use water-soluble oil and then dry them out, and we, we're, we're able to reactivate them without hurting the water pumps and seals. And So we're, we're always experimenting and, and, and trying, but... Uh, but we're uh, but we, we we take pride in, in that work and our and our guys do in in, uh, in making sure that you bring something out after a slumber, um, and within a day day and a half fire back up and have very little troubles. It makes you feel pretty good. It makes you feel like especially after doing it now for over thirty odd years that you're doing something right. Now, do you keep it like a humidor in there? Uh, you know, is there specific humidity levels, etc., uh, within yeah. the museum itself? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the, the the museum environment is is typically right around you know it's fifty six, fifty eight percent humidity, and 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 we're right around seventy two degrees year round. And uh, some of the wood, some of the wooden uh, cars that have wood, we actually uh, have some water trays and things that we place closer to them, so that the humidity under and around those cars will be closer to sixty percent, which wood tends to like. Um, but you really don't want much over 60% humidity around anything else. I mean, leather needs some humidity, wood needs some hu- humidity, yeah. but the rest of the car doesn't like it. So, <laughs> so you're trying to find this happy balance and, and, and air movement, you know, keeping it, keeping air, keeping air moving around. We have good air. We, we're of course in Naples, Florida, so we're air conditioned, but, but we have a positive exchange of air. We have air, we have a pressurized building where we're bringing in fresh filtered air and, and, and constantly changing that airstream and keeping air flowing around. And, 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 and so far, I mean, we're always, like I say, we're always learning, we're always trying to improve, but um, so far we're, I, I think we're doing pretty well and, 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 look, and we're, you know, always looking for that next best practice that we can sort of improve or update. I was really hoping that you said you kept all the cars exercised by taking a different <laughs> one home every night. Uh, <laughs> My garage is 58 degrees. And, yeah. Yeah. 72 degrees. I hired the neighbor right. kid down the street to wash them. I used to live a few, few miles from the museum, and I used to do that on a few occasions when I had a nice, empty, safe, secure garage space. And now my my home garage space is full of my own stuff, so I have I don't want to park anything outside of it. Yeah, so we do we do drive our cars. We love to use them. We want to use them safely. All the cars get exercised around Naples, so all the road cars right now. This is our time of year. Um, you know, anything that's legal for the road is out being driven around town. You know, we bring them out, we use them, we exercise them. The race cars have to go to the racetracks, but, but all the road cars, you know, we're out and using them. We're driving. I want to know what it's like. Have you had a chance to get behind the wheel of that 37 Delahaye? Yes, I have. That is Um, a rolling work of art. What is it like driving that with the top down? Well, he had them put cup holders on it. (laughs) (laughs) And a Kreger stereo. (laughs) What is it? Pioneer. yeah, no, there's no, no any cups in that, that car. And I'll tell you what, that car that car is an amazing machine. The car is is it's the Delahaye chassis that it was made on was a racing chassis. Um, it's not as sophisticated by any means as are, as some of the other Alfa Romeos and, and and other cars of that pre uh, that 1930s era, um, the Alfa Eight Cs and so forth. But yeah, it was a it's a it's a great chassis, a, a, a strong uh, torquey engine, um, but it is really about the beauty of the car. I mean, the interior when you're driving along the the Hermé, so it's got Hermé, you know, French leather and Paris leather, and it wraps steering wheel and, and leather so, hand sewn leather horn button and leather dash and leather interior that's all Hermé uh, Paris leather, and it's just beautifully done. And it, 
And it, you just have to you put yourself back in time when you drive a car like that and imagine what it was like, you know, cruising around Paris and in, in, in 1938 after buying your brand new, you know, Delahaye, you know, Fagoni and Ferlaski Delahaye. That's one of the things I like about old vehicles in general, especially I, I'm usually drawn more. You know, I can appreciate a really souped up vehicle at a resto mod. I can love them. But the ones I'm really from my heart drawn to are the ones that are as close as possible to when they came out. Because getting behind the wheel, you go back in time and you're like, oh, my God, this is why, you know, great g uh really uh, tooled around town and felt proud of being in, and was able to wear his hat inside. Uh, I love the experience of driving a car as close to original as it is, you know, except for the yeah. brakes in uh, in Brett's uh, Corvette. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I got a 60 Corvette that's got four wheel drums in it and a panic stop. And that is is yeah. eye opening. We we describe that as you with those kind of the cars and and earlier drum brakes typically you plan your stops and you better be thinking ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, it, people who've listened to the show for a while have heard me talk about that car, and I've I've owned it since I was eighteen. I'm fifty four now, so I've had it for a long time. And uh, you know, every now and then you'll have to get on the brakes really hard, and it will change your thoughts on religion. <laughs> the wonderful world of clinch. Hey, you you brought up having a full garage at home. What are some of the cool cars you've got in your personal stable? Well, it's it's not that big of a garage. It's a it's a three car, but it's got uh, I've got a, a seventy three nine fourteen that was my. It's a two liter car that started life. It was my father's car and my. And I, my father passed away early, and, and so I've had it uh, for over 30 years, and I, and I drove it a few times, but I've been so busy with my sort of career at, at the museum and the collections that I, I haven't really spent much time on my own cars until recently. So I started to do a restoration on it during the pandemic, and, uh, and so now it's partially restored in my garage. With, it's painted with the wiring harness now partially installed. And uh, so I'm putting that back together. And I decided, to, uh, even though it was my father's car, it, it had a, a couple little things happen to it in, in life before, even before he bought it. So it wasn't, it was a nice car, but it wasn't pure. So I decided to customize it slightly. I stiffened the chassis and did some work on it, building a big engine for it and, and, and some things of that nature. So I'm, I'm going to have some fun with it because I used to build uh, those cars as racing cars in my earlier life. And I, I, I kind of have a heart uh, like that mid-engine 914. But I also have a, my wife and I have a, and I, I say my wife and I, because I, I, I uh, when I, we, we bought this one, it, it, uh, we, we bent uh, her way a little bit, but it's a 1987 uh, 9-11 Carrera as well. Uh, it's a Carrera Cabriolet. I'm so a sucker a, for a G-body. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a great car. And, and, and it's, again, it's a, it's a car with low mileage on it, but it's been, it's been sitting enough before, even before I got it, that. It's running, but I'm, I need to do some work on it, and and uh, so it's out there with some some a little bit of of, of tools and and uh, and parts sitting next to it, with waiting for me to get it, to get on it. Um, and I've got a whole list of things I'd love to have, but I I'm, I'm sort of uh, that's until I get those projects done. That's that's where I'm done. Scott, um, every know- car guy's got a list like that. <laughs> I got a list like that. I'm trying to work my way through it while I'm still young enough to enjoy them all. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I grew up in a in a car family and a GM car family. So I mean, I have so my interest. I mean, I'd love to have. I mean, I'm not. I like German cars for for various reasons because I was introduced to them at a young age and had a chance to to to, to do some racing and, and things of that nature with them and built some cars and stuff. But I, I 
I'm I'm great because I I just I'd be just as comfortable with a '69 Camaro in there or or a Corvette. You know, I mean, I I'm lusting after a, a C3 Corvette. You know, I mean, anyway, I'm I'm <laughs> I just need a bigger garage and more time <laughs> and more money. Well, you could probably <laughs> stick it in a corner at work. I'm sure you could find a little space for it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you do have a 63 Grand Sport you can go look at if you really get a Corvette, Jones. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a, that's a pretty special car. In fact, it's on loan to the Peterson Museum right now. We've been missing it. Uh, we're, 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 <laughs> we're anxious to have it back. It's going to be there through July because they're doing a, they're doing a special uh, tribute uh, uh, to the Corvette 70th out there. And, and it's on display along with a couple of Porsches of ours, a 907 and a 356 that was out there for the 75th anniversary of Porsche. I understand so. you've done a bit of rallying also. I'm kind of curious what events you've been, you've participated in and what you were driving. And, and uh, is, is there anything you haven't done you'd like to? <laughs> Well, I, yeah, I've been, again, I've been very fortunate. I said earlier to have a, a, a chance to, 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 to do a lot of traveling with the collection cars. And, and, and I have been on a lot of rallies and, 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 and tours and things of that nature. Some of the times in the early days, just as a support crew, right? So you, you're taking a car out and, and you're driving it for the first time and, you, and you're taking on a thousand mile run. And so who's going to be the guy that's going to help you fix it? Well, I, I did I did that in the early days. And then I got invited and, and, and opportunities to drive and, and, and ride and, and be participate. So I have had opportunities to be in the Colorado Grand with, oh, cool. with our like the Cunningham, uh, the the Lamar Cunninghams. I've driven the C4R Cunningham and a C5R Cunningham in in, uh, in the Colorado Grand. I've driven the Cadillac La Monstra uh, in the in the Colorado Grand. Um, I've driven them also some cars in the California Mille like that. We've driven Alfa Romeos, Type 55 Bugattis uh, in the California Mille. Uh, I've driven Alpha 8Cs in uh, Rich Taylor, Rich and Gene Taylor's. Texas rally and and uh, we've driven uh, again uh, a Ferrari 400 Super America in, in Texas rally and and uh, the Rich Taylor and Gene Taylor run. Um, so we've had. I mean, I've had. It, it can kind of go on and on. I've I've, I've, I've driven a Hispano Suiza counterbodied H6C in a in a Hispano tour that was just magical. But but that's a 1920, you know, mid 1920s era car, 26, 27. But when you get in a car like that, that's beyond my era, right? It's not, you know, I'm, I'm a, I, I'm a 60s, 70s era kind of car guy. Right. But it, it is, it, when you get in it after the first day and you begin to put yourself back in time and, and you, it becomes magical. And, and, and so those moments are really special to me that I've had a chance to, 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 to drive and experience such great cars. Nick, I could go, I could go on and on, but I don't want to, but it's been it's been great, and we do that to number one to be participate with like minded individuals. We do that because we want to know you know our car is active in the world, and we do that. We challenge ourselves to find ways you know after a restoration to take something out and run it for a thousand miles. And what's wrong with it? What's what, what can we do better? What, what isn't working right? What isn't fixing? So that's you know part of the thing. There would always be a tool bag along, and if we could tweak this and tweak that along the route, and, and the car got better for it. You know, that was all that was why we were there to do it. We were trying to make things uh, run and drive, uh, make these cars run and drive as, as, as well as they did in the day. And that's what I have to do still. All right. You've made it through. It's time for the final question. That's the one we ask everybody. What is the dumbest thing you've ever done in a car? <laughs> oh, 
Well, here's here's one for you. So I'm young now. This is when I'm young. So I, I, I've got a 1977 Volkswagen Scirocco. I'm 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 driving from uh, I've lived in Pennsylvania at the time, driving from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to see my grandparents on a frozen lake uh, on the border of Pennsylvania and Ohio. It's in a blizzard. It's snowing. It's about eight inches of snow on the road. And oh, I'm my. just I'm all by myself on this big, long stretch of smooth, straight road out in the middle of nowhere between, uh, you know, in sort of western Pennsylvania. And I thought, you know, I love doing handbrake turns in cars. You know, that was I, I was always practicing handbrake turns and stuff. And I'm driving along here, you know, and I thought, you know, why don't I just pull on the handbrake and I'll just skid the tires. I, I'm not going to turn. I'm just going to go straight. I'm just going to let the tires skid behind me. Mm-hmm. Well, well, that didn't work. As soon as I pulled on the handbrake, I started going donuts and around and around. And, and, uh, all I remember is somebody in a pickup truck, a couple in a pickup truck stopping about a hundred feet or 200 feet down the road in front of me and just watching me spin. <laughs> I, I, I didn't get off. I didn't fall off the road. And I kind of like, okay, I finally stopped and I cut my, put, got my bearings and put it back in gear. And I kind of drove off. I didn't get stuck or nothing happened. Nothing, but I thought to myself, what a dumb move. And then I, <laughs> I did that little wave to them as I went by and I said, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, goodbye. Thank you so much. And, and I go to my grandparents' house and I was think I was too young to drink, but I think I had a beer from my grandfather's fridge, but uh, I was, uh, I made it. This is not politically correct to say or correct in any way to say. And certainly our parents would argue with us if we ever posited this to them, but kids who went out and did dumb stuff, and snow and ice and slid around in parking lots and all of that crap and did a lot of it when they were young. As adults, we know how to ha- how to handle the car when the car gets bent out of shape and cool. it's sliding sideways and you're cool. Everyone else in the car is screaming, uh, <laughs> but you're just turning into it and giving it a little gas and thinking, you know, as long as I don't hit the curb or wind up in a ditch, I'm fine. I'll, yeah. I'll be okay. I'll just hang it out a little bit. And, uh, my old man would certainly like to have a word with me about all the dumb crap I did in cars and certainly the repair bills that went along with it. <laughs> but as an adult, when things get slick, doesn't bug me, doesn't bug me at all. Everybody else is just losing their mind and, and you know, eh, feels like home. Yeah, just don't pull on the emergency brake, huh? <laughs> I, I, I may have been guilty of wearing out an emergency, a parking brake or two in a Camaro. Yeah. The Rockford filing on top of ice is probably oh, not the Just... wisest choice. That's a that's a great story. I, I did uh, in that fifty five Plymouth that I had. Uh, I did a stupid thing. There was a I was on my way to church. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so you said sixteen and full of sin, and I uh, I stop on this stretch of ice before the church, and I'm like, oh, this will be fun. Put it up into first. I just punched it a little bit, and all of a sudden, uh-huh. and this is in the Ozark, so one half is all trees, and the other half is yeah. rock, and I'm like, I've just done the stupidest thing I've ever done. 
I, I, I've topped myself. God wanted you to make it to church. <laughs> Jesus and I had a long talk that morning going, you know what? I appreciate you getting me straight again. Because <laughs> I don't know what I would have told my dad. My dad listens to this show, and every now and then he gives me a look like, what the hell's wrong with you? For everything he caught me doing, there's 10 things I did he didn't know about. So, uh, it, Sorry, Dad. Yeah, I'm really sorry, sorry Dad. <laughs> we have been speaking with Scott George of Revs Institute. Please tell us, uh, Scott, where we can find you and Revs Institute online and on social media. Sure. Yeah, you can reach us at uh, revsinstitute.org for our main website. And, and and that'll take you also to the, the Revs Digital Library, which is a separate uh, website. Or you could just Google Revs Digital Library. It'll take you right there. Uh, we're on Facebook, uh, Revs Institute on Facebook and YouTube. So we're, we're putting more and more content out on Facebook, YouTube and Instagram as well under Revs Institute. And, and look for our, our media team. You'll be talking to Lauren soon, but the media team and uh, we're cranking out some more content and, and that's our plan going forward. So look for the Active Matter series uh, on, on YouTube coming soon. There's one up now called The Smiling Shark, if anybody wants to check it out. And for everyone who's listening, Revs Institute has a staggering treasure trove of information, of images, of everything. Be sure to check them out. Uh, check them on YouTube. Look at Instagram. That's just fantastic stuff. You will not be disappointed. Scott, thank you so much for being with us. Yes, thank you so much, Mark and, and Brett. It was uh, great to meet you both. And uh, thanks for giving me the portion of your hour tonight. What a nice guy. And it sounds like, uh, you know, I've been meaning to get to Revs Institute for a long time along with getting to Brumos Porsche. I get, got some Florida stops to make, and uh, now I have even more impetus to do so. Well, you know, parts of while he was talking, I was looking at some of these cars. And yeah, even for I me, know. And my and whole not really a European car kind of guy, holy cow, these are gorgeous. Yeah. This is insane. Yeah, let me drag you to the dark side. <laughs> I mean, so, of, so many of them are race Come on, cars. you know you want it. But like there's a 65 Ferrari that I looked at and I'm like, oh, my God, it just the. the well, whole, let's see what you're looking the at whole flavor here. Of a 65 Ferrari 250 LM Berlinetta GT. GT. Yeah. 12 cylinder. Yes. I would I would drive that to pick up milk any day of the well, week. Well, and it can it keep in mind, it's a 3.3 liter 12. So the pistons are not very big. <laughs> it's a small engine, but it, it's guaranteed to have an incredible sound to it. There's one uh, for Ped. Ped White, uh, 1961 Citroen 2CV Sahara. Uh -huh. It just looks like it looks like it would be fun to drive. I'm pretty sure that's not going to be his favorite out of this collection. But yeah, he he still likes the weird stuff. He likes some of that. Um, I I'm telling you, man, they've they have the one car, the one they've got lent to the Peterson right now. 1963 Chevrolet Corvette Grand Sport Coupe. Oh, really? There's five ever oh. built. They're all still in existence, but that's it. Dang. Those are the those are the most valuable Corvettes on the planet. Um, they're they had 377 cubic inch all aluminum blocks heads. Uh, they were putting out north of 500 horse. Oh uh, they weighed about 22, 2300 pounds. <laughs> These were made to hunt down and kill cobras. Oh. That's exactly what they're from. And 
if you will recall, this is at a time when GM had signed an agreement with the other American auto manufacturers not to supply parts or support or anything else for motorsports activities. They signed this in 1957 after the 1955 crash at Le Mans that killed 80 plus people. Oh, Oh, dang. Yeah. Uh, Pierre Levey uh, wrecked at Le Mans and his car came apart and the engine came out of the car and tumbled through the crowd. Oh. Yeah. And killed a lot of people, including Levey. And so the AMA, the American uh, Automobile, the Automobile, I speak on the radio. The Automobile Manufacturers of America signed an agreement, all of the manufacturers at that time. And you got to remember, it was more than just GM and Ford and Chrysler. There were other manufacturers because this is 57. Yeah. So Kaiser was still a thing. And, you know, there were there were still other manufacturers. And they all signed an agreement saying that we will not involve ourselves in motorsports. And then everybody promptly went out and violated the agreement. Well, yeah. But at the time, <laughs> and, and I know all this crap because I've read, written several articles about it. At the time, um, in the early 60s, GM had 57% of the new cars market in the United States uh, about that. And they were starting to be concerned that the government would break them up as kind of an antitrust thing. Really? Yeah. So they were doing all of this stuff voluntarily to keep the government, the feds from looking at them any more closely than they had to. And John DeLorean was uh, one of the whiz kids over at Pontiac and he was trying to come up with a way to attract the youth market without being involved in motorsports, which is how you wound up with the GTO. They stuffed a, you know, the biggest engine they could in a Pontiac Tempest and it just, and they made a factory hot rod out of it. Yeah. Zora Duntoff was doing uh, out the back door support for racers. And that's the, the grand sport program was originally supposed to be 125 cars. And he got five of them made, and GM Brass caught wind of it, and they shut oh. him down. And they, I think the first race they competed in was Nassau Speed Weeks in the Bahamas. And coincidentally, all of the Corvette engineers took their vacations in Nassau the week Speed Week was going on. So, well, how odd. Yeah, just, you know, little things. <laughs> you ever wonder where that color Nassau blue came from on my Corvette? <laughs> there you go. There it is. <laughs> a- anyway, only five Grand Sports were ever made, and a couple of them were turned into uh, roadsters, speedsters, essentially. You know, they cut the roof off, and they you had the windshield and a hoop behind uh, that was supposed to act as a roll bar, but the rest of the car was open. And one of those five grand sports belongs to Revs Institute, and they were worth millions of dollars. That's I I tried a quick search to uh, try to find out you know what the value is on their uh, on the I collection. think the last and one that traded hands was for eight or ten million dollars, and it, it, and it's been years ago. There was some Reddit that mentioned some uh, vehicle I don't remember what it was whether it was a Ferrari or whatever that sold at auction for twenty two million. Yeah, and that's one car. Because I can't no, even no. imagine like that Delahaye, what that thing is. Most worth. expensive car to uh, sell at auction was last year or the year before. And I want to make sure I get this right. Um, <laughs> Unlike me. <laughs> it's a 1954 
uh, Mercedes 300 SLR. And if you give me just a second, I'll tell you what that went for. I think it went for 120, 140. Oh my God. Something like that. It it was the uh, Uhlenhaut coupe uh, and it was sold by, uh, I think it was the Mercedes museum. Yeah. It went for $143 million. Well, I'm trying to imagine paying my uh, state farm insurance on that. (laughs) That's, that's the single most expensive car ever sold at auction period. Uh, There's been uh, several, 1962 Ferrari 250 GT um, uh, GTOs that have sold in the $40 million range, uh, 48, like sold for 44, but 48 with the VIG. But this 55 Mercedes 300 SLR, uh, the Uhlenhaut Coupe, uh, sold for $143 million. And uh, that was uh, just uh, like a year and a half ago. so, yeah, most expensive car to ever trade it at auction. Well, they've got those beautiful ones, and they've even got some ugly ones that really do interest me. No, they've There's, got they've got amazing cars in there, and some of the ugly stuff is going to be stuff that uh, is completely purpose built. Well, yeah, there's a '50 Cadillac Series 61 Le Mans Le Monster Le Monstre. Yeah, Le Monster, and that's the one that he was uh, that Scott was just talking about. That thing is so ugly. Yeah, and I I kind of like it because it's so stupid. It it really looks like you know a Yugo Yugo's tough uncle. Yeah, but <laughs> it it served its purpose. It did yeah. what it was supposed to do. And and the the metal work on it is just it, it's just pieces of metal screwed in. Yeah, well, and I think that's awesome. It looks like something my dad would have made with that crappy craftsman set. That yeah, but three hundred thirty-one cubic inches, one hundred sixty horsepower, thirty-eight hundred RPM, and in nineteen fifty, that wasn't huge power, but it was it was not bad. Uh, and they took the thing out and they raced it. Race race cars don't have to be pretty. Yeah, well, that is they the bill. They have to work. <laughs> they have to be purposeful. Um, some of them. You know, you you get into those 60s Ferraris and oh, yeah, the 250 LM Berlinetta. I I think that one just traded hands or one like it did uh, not long ago. Uh, Monterey, I believe it was. I would have to go back and look. You're catching me at the end of the day. I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. (laughs) But they have other cars in here that were purpose-built racers and just happened to have magnificent lines. If you scroll down on Rev's uh, on Rev's Institute's page to the 1964 Porsche 904 Carrera GTS, yeah. there's a silver one and a red one. I've seen one of these things in the flesh at Gooding a couple of years ago in Amelia Island. They are sexy. They yeah. are cool. And they don't even come up to your waist. They are wow. not very big cars. But they did what they were supposed to do. The fact that they happen to be beautiful is coincidental. Yeah. So anyway, really cool having Scott on here in uh, a week or so. We're going to have uh, Lauren Goodman on from Revs Institute. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of other cool stuff that they have going on. But it it should give you an idea uh, how monumental what they do is. And if you've got a chance, folks, if you find yourself in Naples, Florida, and you're looking for something cool to do car-wise, go to Revs Institute. They've got so much cool stuff, so many fantastic cars, and they're such an amazing resource. You really owe it to yourself to try and check them out. Nice. 
Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. And soon, viewers, we are headed to YouTube damn soon. <laughs> you can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com. Find, uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, and on LinkedIn as Driven Radio Show Podcast. If you have a story you would like to tell or someone you would like us to interview, please contact me at Brett at DrivenRadioShow.com. I am Brett Hatfield for Mark L. Groves. Yo. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio. Thank you.